All right, well, we turn to the Word of God, <clears throat> and this morning we'll be turning to the tenth of the twelve minor prophets, which is Haggai. <clears throat> And uh, as we get to these last three books, uh, we're, we're now dealing with three prophets who spoke after the exile to Babylon, so after the return. So it's a, a different sort of thing that's going on here in Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi than was in the previous nine. Now, this is a relatively short book, so it's two chapters, but still uh, about 40 verses. But I, I decide I'm going to read the whole thing. It really is a, a unit that fits together. And so uh, let's consider what the Lord says to us through the prophet Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much. See, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of, the, of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you has left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now, give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider things how, how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone to, went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is God's word. <clears throat> Let's pray. O oh Lord our God, as we consider the word that you have given through your prophets long ago, we pray, O oh Lord, that we would have a sense of humility and wonder that you would speak to us and that you would teach us. And even as it is explained and as we consider the words, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak to each one of us challenge us and encourage us in the way we need to be challenged and encouraged. Well, Lord, we know that we're not fit even to be taught, but you by your spirit can speak to us and lead us and guide us to make us what you have called us to be. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to go forth from this place encouraged to do the work that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So the prophet Haggai sees a God who is shaking the heavens and the earth. So big events are happening. Things are changing rapidly. Nations are on the move. Empires rising and falling. And in the midst of this, there's tiny little Judah with a few tens of thousands of people. And the question they might have in the midst of all that is, why are they significant? Or from their perspective, why are we significant? What do they matter in this big, turbulent world? 
The interesting thing about human beings is that though we're small, we can affect only a few things around us, yet we really can see so big. We can contemplate the nations. We can contemplate the empires. We can contemplate where they've been, where they're going. We can look out into the universe and see the thousands of stars and the, the millions and hundreds of millions of stars and galaxies. And there's no question when we think about all these things and we see all the big things around us, we see a big turbulent world shaking, it's easy for us to ask, what do we matter? What significance do we have? And Haggai gives us an answer. And that is, we do matter. God is doing big things and invites us to be part of them. And he assures us that when we engage with him in what he's doing in this world, it will make a big difference. And so we're going to see the important place that God's people have in God's plan through Haggai's challenge, the people's obedience, and Haggai's encouragement. So that's our three points. And if you have your bulletin, there's a little outline in there if you want to follow along with that. And there's some blanks if you want to fill those in. So it'll be Haggai's challenge, the people's obedience, and Haggai's encouragement. So in order to understand Haggai's challenge, let's review a little bit about the context of what's going on in history at this time. Remember, in the first nine minor prophets, the big threats were first Assyria, the great empire, the, the really wicked one, the really violent one. And then Babylon threatened the, threatened the people of God. And eventually, Assyria takes away the northern kingdom, it's called Israel, and brings that, them into captivity. And then ba Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes and he takes over Judah he sends a lot of them into captivity. He breaks down the walls of Jerusalem and he destroys the temple. You can, read, um, you can read about these events in the end of the book of Jeremiah starting at chapter 35. Now eventually Babylon was defeated by the Medes and Persians under their great leader Cyrus whom God had prophesied would come and send the people back. And the Persians had a very different approach to the peoples that they ruled. They weren't sending them all into exile. They were sending them back, and they would even support their gods and build temples for them. And so that's what happened with Israel. You can read about that at the beginning of the book of Ezra. That Cyrus, um, Cyrus the king and ruler of Persia, says the people can go back, and he's going to actually give them money and support in order to be able to do that. And God raised up a whole bunch of leaders that we'll encounter to various degrees here, including Ezra that we mentioned, but also Nehemiah, and then um, Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets that we're going to consider. And you also see the names here, Joshua, son of Josadak, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. So to understand that, that Zerubbabel is a descendant of David. And so even though he wasn't crowned king, he was the political leader of the people of, uh, people of Judah. And Joshua, son of Josadak, was sort of the religious leader. He's the high priest. And so you have the religious leader and the political leader. And they're mentioned a lot. And there is a way God kind of focuses on them as a way of speaking to the entire nation. In fact, you can see this prophecy is directed specifically towards them. So Haggai comes in and makes these prophecies. We actually have the three days in which he prophesies. And so we know precisely when this actually takes place because it's dated from the exact date of 
of the rulers of Persia, so under the next ruler after Cyrus, and named Darius. And so this prophecy takes place, we're reading in Haggai, 18 years after the decree of Cyrus. So the people have been back in the land for almost a couple decades. And, and so they receive this message. God raises up Haggai to speak to them in this context about what is going, in the lo- going on in the land. And he speaks to them about what they were not doing. And you can see in chapter 1, verse 2, says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So they were saying, it's not yet time for us to build the temple again. Remember, it had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. But he also speaks to them about what they were doing, which is, you read in verse 4, God says to them, is it as a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? And so they, they were not concerned about the Lord's house but they were deeply concerned about their own houses. So their focus, the center of their lives, was not with the Lord and what he was doing. It was with them and their own agendas. The interesting thing about that is it really wasn't going that well. And maybe that was part of their fears, why they felt they had to work harder and focus on that. Things were not going that well. And so God says, think about your ways. You're working hard. You're doing all this stuff. But it's not getting you anywhere. Reflect on your ways. Think about what you're doing. It's a great call to us because it's easy for us just to do and do and do and never like step back and say, okay, what's actually going on here? So that's one of the most important things. Consider your ways. And our tendency when we do that is to basically only look on a horizontal level. We just look and we say like, well, what's going on here? Let me see the resources around me, what things can I do, what is going on, what have I done wrong, or, or whatever the case may be. But God tells them that they need to look up. In Haggai 1, 9 through 10, he tells them that you expected much, but see it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while you, each of you is busy in your own house. Therefore, because, because of you, the heavens have withheld their due and the earth its crops. In other words, like you were looking for resources, but you weren't looking at from it from for them from me, and therefore, I didn't give them to you. I made it tough. It is always God who gives us the power to get wealth. That's one thing, key principle as we think about money. It is God who gives us the power to get wealth, and so he's the priority, as we'll see here. So they were acting like they were the center of the universe, like their houses were the most important thing. Now, our place is important in the world. We're gonna, that's kind of the whole point here that we're going to see. We have a significant part to play, but it's not the center of the universe. And because in some ways we could see so big, we often kind of tend to think of ourselves as sort of the center of the universe. And we look at things from our own perspective. But God is the center of the universe. And so what does that mean? Well, there's a basic principle in Scripture that is a general principle. It's not an automatic thing every time, but it is that honor the Lord with the first fruits. Honor the Lord with what he gives you and honor him first with your time, with your money, with your resources, with your emotions, and so on. 
And what God says is that when we do that, he will bless us. And we don't, we won't experience blessing. Now that, again, that's a general principle. It's not an absolute. It's not like, it's not like if I give to the Lord the first fruits, then tomorrow I'll be wealthy, and, and the next day, I, and if I don't, immediately I'll be poor, or whatever the case may be. It's just that it's a general way that God tends to work in this world. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Honor the Lord first, in other words, with your time, with your wealth, with your thoughts, and that is what means to be a servant of God. His priorities come first, and when we make his priorities first, then he will bless us in that way. This is precisely what Jesus said. Remember, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. That is basically the message of Haggai, right? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's what Haggai is telling them. Now, a common thought we have is, that people have is, I will give when I have money. When I make a bunch of money, then I'll give. But that's not really how it works. You honor the Lord with a little, and then you'll also honor him with much. The first fruits, the first that we receive, whether it's little or much, goes to the Lord. When we honor him with little, then we'll honor him with much. From time to time, Throughout my ministry here, I've heard something similar said about our church situation. When we own a building, then we will do ministry. Uh-uh. That's not how it works. We do what we can with what God gives us. We do the ministry now he's called us to do, and God will provide for us as we move forward with what we need in order to do the ministry that he will give to us at that time. It's the same principle. We honor the Lord first. At every stage of our lives, with little or with much, and the Lord continues to bless it, as we'll see. So, I want to call you today to do what Haggai said, is think about your ways. And let me give you a few questions to think about, to think about what's going on here with, with Haggai. So, first of all, just to ask, what are you doing with your time and money? The fact is, if you don't know what you're doing with your time and money, your time and money will tell you what to do. Those just, they just flee away. But what is your goal with your time and money? Are you being deliberate about it? That's what he's saying. Think about it. Secondly, is God calling you to start something that you haven't started? Is God saying, this is where you need to begin to serve? And you just said, nah, I'll focus on my house. Third, can you clear some margin in your life? so you have more freedom to serve the Lord. In other words, do you have to be doing all the things you're doing? Could you cut some of those out so you could have freedom to serve the Lord? Do you have to be spending all your spending? Could you say, I'm gonna reserve some so that I have freedom to give where the Lord's calling me to give? You see, these are the types of questions we need to ask. And it's interesting, you know, people might, might feel like if we talk about uh, money, that uh, we're meddling with our individual lives, but that's just what God does. He's saying, like, you have a certain amount of energy, time, resources. What are you doing with it? Jesus talks about it all the time. Now, one thing I want to be clear about as I challenge you is I, one, I want to just make very clear what I'm not saying. I'm not, say, I'm not rebuking you or saying, you all have nice houses or you know, to varying degrees, 
Um, and you, are, you should not be thinking about those houses at all. What you need to do is be thinking about us building a building for ourselves. I am not saying that. I will never say that. Because the building is just a means to an end. It's the building, if, we, if we end up building a building one day um, that we're going to use as a church building, that will not be the temple. We, cannot, we should not equate a church facility that we use with the temple of God in the book of Haggai. Now, that may be what, we, what God leads us to do. We'll see how things go. We'll see where the Lord leads us. It's something we're thinking about, right? But the main thing is that we're giving our time and money and resources to the work of the kingdom of God. What are we doing with our time and resources? And I'm not going to give you a specific rule on how much you should give or how much time you should give or when you should give or where you should give. You think about that. But the question is, are you seeking the kingdom? Is that your priority? Does that come first? Where, does the, where do the first fruits go? To yourself or to the Lord? That's the question. So how do the people respond to this challenge? Well, listen to Haggai 1.12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, this is a shocking development. Over and over again, the God sends the prophets and they're like, no, no, no. And now here it's like, okay, you're doing it wrong. All right, we'll do what you say. Wait, you know, Haggai had to be like, really? <laughs> You're going to do that. They obeyed. They changed their priorities. They gave their wealth, talent, and time to the work of the Lord. And actually, though, this is precisely what God had promised. The prophet Jeremiah had said, for example, that when they came back to the land, I will give them singleness of heart and action, so they will always fear me, and that all will then go well for them and for the children after them. And so what he's saying is this is the work of the Lord's grace to give them a heart to give to the Lord. And when people give to the Lord, it is a sign that God is working, that he is changing hearts to give them priorities that they wouldn't have had on their own. It is a gift of God's grace. Back in the Old Testament, there were times when they did what the Lord said, even though disobedience was so much a characteristic of them. And when they built the, the first temple and prepared the things for it, David the king called people to come and give to what was needed, and they brought an abundance. And he prayed, Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And you can see that what happened here in Haggai is an answer to that prayer. God, it says that God stirred them up to do what he had called them to do, answering the prayer of David and working in their hearts to make sure that the work of his kingdom was going forward through his people. So when we obey and give, we need to see this is an answer to prayer. It is the prayer that God's people pray all over the world. Thy kingdom come. And when people give for the work of the kingdom with their time, their talents, their energy, and their money, then that is an answer to that prayer and is a gift of God's grace. Now, I want to encourage you, my friends, 
that you also have given. I know your lives. I know that many of you have sacrificed a lot. I know that you've given resources. You've given money. You've sacrificed time. You've, you've reached out to serve and so on. And so that's a work of God's grace. It's gift of God's grace that we're here this day. But it's also to easy to get discouraged once you start. So I know you're doing good things. And I know that you're working. But it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to think, this doesn't really matter. Or you get caught up in other things. Or you get tired and so on. And so we need encouragement in the work. And so you see that once, once the people had said yes to what God had told them to do, then Haggai shifts. And most of the, the rest of the book is about, or the, the, the other two prophecies, are primarily about encouraging them. Even where he's talking about the, all the defiling things that touch things and stuff that we didn't know the answer to, that he's really actually trying to encourage them, as we'll see here in a second. So, I think that the encouragements that Haggai gives to these people can also encourage us to keep going, to keep reaching out, to keep serving, to keep sacrificing, when, when it gets hard or when it seems really small. So listen, here's three encouragements from Haggai. First, God promises them support. God promises them support. He tells them that when they were building their houses and focused on that, he was not with them. Now that doesn't mean that he literally wasn't present in that place um, because God is everywhere, right? When God says, usually uses the, the, the phrase, I am with you, what it means is not just that he's actually present there, but that he's there to support them, to be with them, to give them what they need, as we'll see here in a second. And what he's telling them, and so after they obey, what's the first word that Haggai gives to this people? Look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people I am with you, declares the Lord. That means that he was going to be there to give them the support and encouragement they needed along the way. He was going to help them. And therefore, they shouldn't have any fear to keep going forward. Even whether it was that fear was coming from inside them, feeling like they didn't have the resources, or what would happen outside them. You can read about that in the book of Nehemiah. What God is saying, now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. It's what I promised long ago, he says, and my spirit is with you. And so as we, as we consider what God has called us to do, even the normal work we have of, of just being a light in this world, in our schools, in our businesses, in our families, and so on, in our neighborhoods, you know, it's easy to get discouraged, but we always, always, always need to see we're not there alone. God is with us to support us. We look at the task. Let's not just see the task. Let's see the God who's with us and around us and beneath us and supporting us. I am with you, declares the Lord. As we seek to advance the kingdom of God in this place, we need to hear that word. God is saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't get tired. You have my strength. And in fact, he, he is with us because we're with him. 
And when we do the work of his kingdom, it's not like us starting something completely new. When we seek to love the people around us and reach out to the people around us, we're dealing with a God who's already been reaching out to this community, to these people. He's created them. He's made them. They've heard the gospel in many cases. And we're just joining what he is doing. So we join with him, and he is with us. That is the first encouragement. Second, God promises provision. In other words, he'll provide the things that are needed in order to get that work done. So he compares it to the past. He says, you know, you kept, you kept trying to, to get the things you need, and you always find there's a lot less. You have 50 measures of wheat, and, and you go there and check, and there's only 20. Everything is failing. But he's saying, now that you're beginning and you're aligning yourself with what I'm doing, you should not fear that you will not have what you need in order to make that happen. And he says, from this day on, I will bless you. Haggai 2.19. From this day on, I will bless you. And that's when we move out in obedience to reach out to a lost world, to show love, to build things that God has called us to build. And we should not fear that we will not have the things that we need. God is going to provide. From this day on, I will bless you. It's the same thing Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all other things will be given to you as well. The apostle Paul made the same point to the Corinthians. He says, God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, what he's saying is, if you keep giving, the Lord, as you give, the Lord will keep filling things up so you can keep giving. And I'm sure that many of you could actually share stories about this. But I will tell you, like, this has been my experience uh, in, in most of my life. I mean, I have experienced, it's, it's amazing how many times I have received unsolicited money or resources that I was never expecting. And often, often, not every time I haven't done a scientific study, but often it comes at a time when I have sacrificed and I didn't know, I felt like I should give something, and I gave it, and then all of a sudden, like, a few weeks later, I'll find there's a check in the mail. Like, nothing I asked for, didn't tell anybody of any needs, didn't tell anybody what I did, and all of a sudden from a random place, comes a gift. I have seen that so many times in my life and there's so many times that I see like God will provide. We don't need to fear to push out. We don't need to fear to make big goals. We don't need to fear to, to serve. God is going to provide. That's what he's saying. This is his promise of what he's telling us. Now, someone may object and say, well, you know, we, we built a building or we built a building. We did that and then we bought another building. Now we don't have either. Well, does that mean God is not going to provide for us? Absolutely not. It means he will provide for us, and here's why. Think about it. God gave us the building that we needed at each time of the life of the church to do the ministry that he had called us to do. He gave us the building on Dolly Parton Parkway, and we need to do the ministry there. He's given us this facility to do ministry here. The Lord continues to supply our needs. In the future, he'll supply the facility that we need to do the ministry that we'll need to do at that time. That's, in essence, what God is saying. 
We don't need to look at, we don't need to tell a story of doom and gloom in regards to this. We could tell a story of God's faithfulness and God's provision, that he has provided us for the things that we need so we can keep going. And here at 34, 35 years now, from the beginning of this church, we continue to do so by the grace of God. And each of us could tell stories like that of our lives. Now, when we think about starting something new, it might be a little bit different. We don't know how it's all going to work out. If we decide we're going to reach out to a particular group or start a new ministry in this place, we don't know how it'll work. We won't know. But what we do know is that if God is in it, and God is leading us, then he will provide along the way. God promises provision for the work of his kingdom. And, you know, you might say, well, how do we know that God is leading us to do this? Well, generally, here's the thing I see. God is in reaching out and getting out of our comfort zones to bless the lives of other people. And if he's calling us to do that, we should assume he's in that. And the Lord will provide what we need. Third promise. God promises a glorious future. Now, that guy was looking out in the world, and he says, the future's going to be a little rough. The heavens and the earth are going to shake. It's going to, kingdoms are going to rise and fall, and things are going to be tough. And, you know, sometimes people look at, at, at those types of events, which are still going on, right? Heavens and earth are shaking. And they think, well, so I'll just kind of wait. won't do anything. No, no, no. We should, even in the midst of the shaking of the heavens and the earth, we should still build. We should still begin things. And God says that when we do so, even though the heavens and earth are shaking, the work that we do is going to have a glorious future. He, in the last verse, he promises to Zerubbabel, he says, on that day, declares the Lord Almighty, the day of the shaking in the heavens and the earth, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. And so, three ways, like, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to, you are important. You are significant. Now, remember, Zerubbabel is a descendant of David. And who else is a descendant of King David? That is very important to us. Jesus, right? So, Zerubbabel is sort of a picture of Jesus. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, God will give us pictures of Jesus through various descendants of David and through various kings. And that's what he's doing here. It's not that Zerubbabel himself was actually the center of the universe, but Zerubbabel was representing his, his descendant, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, another descendant of David. And so what this is saying is that Christ is at the center of the world. All these things may shake, but what Christ is doing is not going to shake. It's going to keep going forward. The kingdom is going to keep growing. And so that mean, what that means is that when we lean into that, when we get involved in what Jesus is doing in the world, we're right at the center of what is happening in the history. Other things are going to shake. Things will come and go. But what we do for Christ is right at the heart of the world and has a pure and strong foundation. And this is what he was telling them in particular in regards to the temple. The temple, one of the big issues there is that they, they looked at the temple. Some of them knew the temple or they, heard, or they had heard about the temple of, of Solomon. It was like, it's so amazing. And here they look at what they have and it was so much less than what they had seen before. And so it was easy to get discouraged. Well, God says, don't get discouraged because what you're doing now has an even more glorious future and is actually going to be greater than anything that the other temple experienced. And why was that? 
because the desire of all nations was going to come and fill that house with glory. That was the place to which Jesus would come, and from that temple, the, the glory of God and the kingdom of God would spread to the nations. And we've seen that come about. The glory would go out to the ends of the earth. And so these people who are just putting stone upon stone, who were, who were giving other times and efforts, might have looked at it and seen it's nothing. But it was out of that work that came the work that went out to the whole world, that is manifest here today, that we are gathered in the name of the God of Israel because these people worked, because these people built. And that's what we can see too. The work that we do today has a glorious, glorious future. Kingdoms will rise and fall. Nations come and go, but the kingdom of God remains. The work that we do for it matters a great deal. So how do we have significance? In this world, because God values us. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And so when we lean into that, our identity as God's workmanship, what we do for the kingdom matters now, and it matters forever. God's going to take what we do, and he's going to use it far beyond what we could imagine or think. And each of us, every single person here today, has an important place in this big, turbulent world. So the encouragement Keep going, keep giving, keep working. You've been doing it, you can see what you need to do, keep at it, because God is with you. From this day on, he will bless you, amen.